We'll consider this afternoon a very striking portion of the Word of God, and not only one in the Old Testament, but one that is its complement in the New, like a hand in a glove, the New Testament fits the Old we have read 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3 uh, concerning Solomon in, uh, his, in the earliest part of his career when he has just assumed the reins of the government of the nation of Israel, God's most holy people. And we have in this chapter... In Solomon's youthful inexperience, a sense made known to God in prayer of his own weakness and inadequacy for so great a task and his prayer for wisdom that we encounter in verses 1 through 15, whereas in verses 16 through 28, we have clearly God's manifest answer to him and to Israel through him. And so we'll consider as our first two points, Solomon the youth in verses 1 through 15, then Solomon the wise in verses 16 through 28, and third we'll consider from the New Testament, in particular those words of our Lord from Luke 11, especially verse 31, our third point being the greater than Solomon. So two passages and three points, Solomon the youth, Solomon the wise, and he who is greater than Solomon. Solomon has taken the place of his father, King David. And he had something very much in common with his father, David, that could not be said of some of his other siblings. Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father. Now, it wasn't a perfect love. It wasn't a fully mature and sinless love, the inspired commentator who wrote 1 Kings makes it clear that nevertheless, though he loved the Lord, there was still something that He did, which was not according to God's mind. He sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. And so we observe that even the godliest of Christians will always have something remaining in them that is displeasing to the Lord. Even the godliest of Christians, we do not so reach a level of sanctification that we no longer have a need to pray that prayer 
Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That being said, just as there are greater and lesser degrees of faith, there are some Christians who, by the grace of God, develop faster, develop more uh, fully than other believers. We, we know sometimes, in fact, perhaps even now, we can think of some who, who just stand out to us. They, they love the Lord. I was told just yesterday, someone that I've never met, but I've heard a number of lovely things about her. And when she apparently uh, learned about uh, someone that she loved very much who had found somebody, uh, a possible romantic partner, her immediate question was, oh, does she love Jesus? Does she love Jesus? That's the great, that's the great concern. And some of those Christians, they put us to shame, don't they? especially some of us seasoned Christians who have had many more years and yet we see something of that youthful bloom of Christian love and and we should be ashamed that we are not more flush with excitement when coming into the presence of God and seriously concerned that we should be pleasing to God and very sensitive in our consciences. But sadly, it seems as though layers of calluses cover over that conscience that was once more sensitive than it is. Should Solomon not put some of us to shame? Can it be said of you, dear Christian, today that that which most distinguishes you is that you love the Lord, that you love the Lord? Well, if that's not the case, then may Solomon be the the means of, of, of humbling you, that you might remember your first love. And for those of you who have never really loved the Lord, you've known about the Lord. You've been catechized. You've been taught about the Lord. But all you know is about the Lord. But do you love him? And if you don't love him, why don't you love him? Solomon loved the Lord. He wasn't sinless. And so don't be too discouraged, Christian, when you do see something of your flaws and your failures. The Lord looks upon Solomon as he looked upon David in Psalm 32, as we heard this morning. Oh, blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. That's the only way to explain how we can read that Solomon loved the Lord and yet there was some remaining sin because 
If God is to judge according to the rigid demands of his law, then no one can stand before him but must perish in his thrice holy gaze. And the Lord loved him back. The Lord loved him back. The Lord loves those who love him. And he so loved him. And we know, of course, theologically, that he loved because he was first loved. But there is this constant cycle, isn't there, of the Lord loving an unlovable sinner and planting within that sinner a new desire, a new love before I hated God, or at the very best I was indifferent to him and his interests. But now I love him, and the more I love him, the more I desire to keep his law, and the more he looks upon me with favor, just as a father looks with such pride upon his son, a mother upon her daughter who does those things that are honorable. And so the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Solomon in this dream is praying to God. Lord, you've been so good to me and so good to this people. You've exalted me. You've made me your servant. That's all that I am. I'm just an unprofitable servant. You've made your servant king instead of David, my father. But he's sensitive. He's sensitive that the the responsibility that God has placed upon him is bigger than his shoulders can bear. I am but a little child. I know not how to go in, go out, or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. Now we remember why Solomon asked for this. He wasn't presumptuous. The Lord had, in fact, told him, ask what you will. I see that you love me. And the Lord gives Solomon a kind of a blank check. Ask what you will. But he doesn't ask for those things that would serve himself whether it is glory, whether it is victory on the field of battle, whether it is incalculable riches, inexhaustible wealth. And God sees this. God sees his own handiwork. And he's pleased with this. This was a kind of a, a, a test. Even in, even in a dream state, Solomon is conscious. We are conscious, aren't we, to a greater or lesser degree, oftentimes, in our sleeping. And it's in this dream state where the Lord has transactions with him. 
The Lord answers his petition. And because he has asked for this thing that is the best thing that could be asked for, wisdom that I may be able to rule this people and to serve you, God gives him not only wisdom, but he gives him that which he had not asked for, riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee in all thy days. And Solomon awoke, and it was a dream. What do you ask for? What do you ask for? Now, there's nothing wrong to ask for our daily bread. If it were, then our Lord would not have told us. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But that which is sweetest to the Lord is when he sees in the heart of one of his servants a desire not to please himself, but to please God and to serve the people. Solomon senses he is a public servant. And God has called you into unique positions and places. He knows your needs. He knows your cares. And by all means, ask him. Make your petitions known to him. Some of you, you have your troubles and you're not coming to the Lord. You're fretting. You're, you're, you're exhausting yourself. But you're not getting on your knees and simply presenting it to the Lord like Hezekiah, rolling out that document before the eyes of the all-seeing one. But the Lord has purchased you at so great a price, and he has called you to be faithful. He has given you unique gifts and abilities in order to serve him and to serve others. Get in line behind Solomon, and you will find instead of pursuing your own happiness first, that by pursuing the happiness of God, the smile of God, and the well-being of others, that I should follow my Savior, that I should wash the feet of my neighbor, that I should not think more highly of myself than I ought to think, but to think soberly, not to prefer myself before others, but to take the back seat. To take the lowest position. Here, you have the higher position. And we will find the secret that our Lord Jesus Christ uttered in those words that we thank God Luke caught for us and recorded in the book of Acts. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Don't misapply what the Holy Spirit intends here. It is a false religion that 
enters into a kind of quid pro quo arrangement with the Lord. Well, you see, I'll ask for wisdom knowing that he's going to look on that kindly, and then I'll get all these other things in his innocence. In his childlike innocence to please God, he asks for wisdom. You need wisdom. And you need it more than you realize. Not just when you have life decisions before you. Now, especially when you have life decisions before you. Get advice. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. You don't have all the answers. Get some advice. Walk with the wise that you may become wise. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many, how many of your life problems will be solved or at the very least helped and smoothed over if you stop and say, Lord, Give me wisdom. How much time should I really be spending on this? Lord, I have these different choices before me. Bring me to those places of Scripture that shed light, and that's invariably what will happen. I still remember years and years back being struck by a sermon that John MacArthur preached from Ephesians. Interestingly, he's still preaching through Ephesians these days. I'm sure he's done other books in the meantime. But be not foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And what he preached was, it means what it says. You have a responsibility to be understanding. You need to pursue it. You have wisdom. You need to exercise and flex that muscle. And the best way to do that is to be in God's word and be on your knees. Be in God's word and be on your knees. And then get up and go do what you need to do. But if it's been a while since you've been in his word and been on your knees... You're wasting time. You're going to spin your wheels and you're going to make things worse. If only, says Joshua, we had stopped and asked counsel of the Lord when these people from a far country showed up with their moldy bread and their worn out shoes. Do you love the Lord? Ask for wisdom. It will be the best thing that you could possibly get, even if he doesn't give you riches and glory. But what's more, if you ask it for the right reasons, so that you can not make yourself happier in the first case, but make God happy in the first case. And my neighbor happy in the second case. And as I seek the first and the second, 
lo and behold, the third just comes beautifully, coming right into my hands to eat the seed. And I don't have to do anything. Try it. Try it. Second, Solomon the wise. Now, he already was wise. Wise more than you would think given his years because of what he asked for. You know, it's the better part of wisdom to be humble and to admit your limitations and to ask. And the Lord gives it to him. As he, as he awakens from the fog of his dream state, uh, the birds are singing, the, the sun is coming through the window there. Uh, wouldn't you perhaps uh, ask yourself, was that just me? Was that just a dream? Well, so we have a record of God's clear answer to him and to the rest of Israel. A riddle, an enigma, is presented before King Solomon. There are no witnesses. Two women of ill repute whose character counts for nothing. There has been a death of a little helpless infant, and the fingers are being pointed at each other. And then Solomon says what no one is expecting. So these are the facts. You say your son is the dead one and my son is the living. You say, no, it's, it's just the opposite. Well, I say... Bring me a sword. Cut the living child in two. Give half to the one and half to the other. You know, that's how we do it at home when it comes to a piece of pie. There's a piece that's there. And if it's going to be equal, you say one cuts and the other chooses. There, then there is going to be no more bickering. Well, Solomon, Solomon is doing something that will bring to light because he understands human nature And he knows that the truth will come out through this. He's not intentionally uh, uh, deceiving so much as he is seeking to bring forth the truth by a hypothetical. He is certainly not going to kill this child. But sure enough... The woman who was the true mother, her, we read her bowels yearned upon her son. That's a, uh, some archaic language that is not so very difficult for us to understand. You can actually feel 
inside the intimate connection between your, your, your emotions and your bodily sensations. She's, she's just, there's something happening inside her. She, she is faced with the, the prospect that she may never see her child again, but there's something even worse than that. It would be better, better for her to have the child than that this child should be killed. And how does the other one respond? Well, that's not such a bad idea. Go for it. It becomes clear to Solomon, it becomes clear to all, doesn't it? Give her the living child. In no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard the judgment which the king had judged. And they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Love God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He will in due time give you what you need if you have your priorities straight. And he will demonstrate his grace within you. And surely he did this because not only did he love Solomon, but he loved his people. And so they were given a wise king. It's a terrible thing when a ruler is a fool. We've had fools before. We have fools now. It is a judgment of God upon a people. Oh, that God would give rulers the love of God and to understand that they are public servants to serve the Lord in the first case and not the 51%. Not to lick the thumb and put it in the air and find out what is popular opinion right now. And certainly not my own interests. How many are in it for themselves? How many love the publicity? How many love the power? Not so with the servant of the Lord, and not so with you, Christian. It shall not be so among you. But he that will be first, let him be last. That's the way it needs to be with you, Christian. If you love the Lord, get in the back. If you love the Lord, put him first. If you love the Lord, pray to him. Let your requests be made known to him. Just make sure that those requests that he loves the most rise to the top like cream. Lord, I want your glory advanced, your kingdom to come, your will to be done. I want my will to be fashioned like yours. I want to be submissive. I don't want to fight you anymore. I don't want to be my own worst enemy. 
And give me wisdom. Wisdom not just to make it in this world. Wisdom not just to have more friends and influence people. But wisdom to serve you. And to serve my neighbor. Because that's the spirit of Jesus. Which brings us, third and last, to he who is greater than Solomon. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon the Great. And yet it doesn't take too many more chapters, does it, before we have to add two little words to that. Solomon the not-so-great. The Lord Jesus Christ, greater than Solomon. Of the seed of David, like Solomon, but without any of the folly. He grew as Solomon in wisdom and stature, and yet God gave to Jesus, his son, his spirit, not by measure. Now, when we read this amazing story of these two prostitutes fighting it out before Solomon over this one living baby, We are struck. We are struck with what a gift the Lord had given to Solomon. But friends, Solomon doesn't hold a candle to the wisdom of Jesus. And why is that? It is because he is not only David's son, he is God's son. And not only this, but he was given the spirit above measure, the spirit of wisdom and righteousness. You think the queen of Sheba dropped her jaw. No man could answer Jesus. His wisdom baffled them. You have the case of the woman caught in adultery. However great this may have been, there is a greater than Solomon here. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. There is an echo of Solomon. But here is Solomon in his perfection. And without any folly and without any sin and giving to us the full wisdom of heaven for our salvation. Listen to Solomon. There is a portion of God's word which we call the wisdom literature. Much of it is from the pen of Solomon and it's there for a reason. Read it. Soak it in. The Lord gives us abundant, practical wisdom. It's there. 
for us. But also see Solomon not only as one whom we should imitate as a lover of God, but as one who fell from his great height through folly and beware. But especially listen to God's Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please rise. Would thou now bless us with that wisdom that is from above? Put it in our hearts, we pray, through Jesus Christ. Amen.